Take your scriptures, go to Matthew chapter 25, and be prepared with me for the word of the Lord. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You know, I have butterflies in my stomach now. I have a, a kind of a nervousness. I tell you the truth. I have this kind of, wow. But it's, it's, it's good because it is my dependency on the Holy Ghost to help me deliver. I cannot tell you how honored I am that you are here. But I'm more honored that he is. But I'm glad you are. Matthew 25. Please, it will be on the screen. But you look on in your scripture. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should be not enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the earth virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Next slide, please. Point your hands in my direction and pray that some of this nervousness and tenseness will give way to the Holy Spirit, would you? Come on, pray for me, everybody, because we benefit together. Father... I thank you that all power is in your hand. Can I get an amen, church, as you pray? God, I, I do not want to take anybody for advantage here this morning or for granted. I do not want to exploit this congregation. I need the divine visitation of God that I feel now. We all need it. Oh, Heavenly Father, as the bread of life is served, I pray that we would all eat from the table of God. Say amen, church. For those of us already that are ready... Help us to get others ready. Thank you, Jesus. For those of us already born again and are like the wise virgins, help us to understand that we do have a job to do. But for those who are not ready, let them today hear your word again and get ready. And Father, I pray that you'd produce more revival at South Metro Ministry where 75 baptized in water will be the minimum, O oh God. O oh God, I just pray that you would help us in this day and hour to realize that you are getting your bride ready. And so we present ourselves as your bride to, for you, O oh God, to prepare our hearts by the power of your presence in Jesus' name. Amen? And amen it is. And thank you for being seated. Keep your Bibles open to this passage and we'll perhaps look at others in the course of our time together. I was given a note that says at North Georgia Senior Adult Day at the campground yesterday, 
Don, would you stand? And Cynthia, would you stand, please, for a moment? On yesterday, a group from our church attended the Senior Adult Day in North Georgia. And they had a sort of a competition between senior adults. Not that I'm calling you all that, but... (laughs) Don represented the division of instrumental non-keyboard. Cynthia represented the division of female vocalists. And they both won their division for North Georgia. Thank you for doing it for the glory of God. We celebrate you. And then they will represent us on the national level for the glory of God. Thank God for your abilities. I was moved this week to this passage of Scripture because of events of recent days in our world. See, one of my tasks, the most important task I have as your shepherd, is to get you ready and to keep you ready for that awesome and great day of the coming of the Lord. You are in this church this morning as part of your preparation for the coming of the Lord. But recent events, the flood in Metro Atlanta, unfortunate flood this past week, caused me to think on this passage of readiness and preparedness. Recent events on the news, crime and violence, caused me to think about the scripture that says, In the last days, iniquity shall abound, and the love of many shall wax cold. It caused me to think about perilous times shall come. And as I read the news, how people take the lives of other people with no conscience. Oh, my Lord, as I I heard where one man killed his wife and three children and fled the country and was, uh, was brought back, extradited, brought back to the United States, and when questioned. He said this week that a spirit of one of his family members or wife's family members caused him to kill his family. And he was going to kill himself, but he didn't have enough courage to kill himself. Isn't that amazing? You had the gall and the courage to kill somebody else and you didn't. And I'm not saying that he should have, but iniquity shall abound. And I thought about this passage when I heard this week how Iran has released the information that many had known before that they have another secret nuclear site where they are developing nuclear energy. They call it energy for uh, domestic use in their country, but that's not the case. The case shows that they are creating a weapon of mass destruction. When you know and I know, we don't have to be politicians or scientists to know that the president of Iran has vowed for the extermination of the nation of Israel. And I'm telling you, sometimes it seems like the United Nations and the White House and the, 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 the headquarters in London or Paris or these capital of those nations, it seems like they're the last to know what needs to be done about getting people ready for danger. Now, I'm not saying they're perfect, and I'm saying that that they have their flaws. But I'm telling you, when you see these things begin to happen, you see, Israel is not going to ask permission of Washington, D.C. He's not going to ask permission of China or Russia to protect themselves. 
I'm telling you that we are living in the last of the last days. And when you see these things begin to happen, all of Matthew 24 is about the coming of the Lord. Some of Matthew 25 is the coming of the Lord. And I question preaching this again because it hasn't been long ago that I preached a series of in the last days. And I said to the Holy Ghost, but I have, I haven't, uh, I haven't been long preaching on the last days. And the Holy Ghost said to me, every day unfolds another confirming sign of the coming of the Lord. Get my people ready so they won't be taken by surprise and be left behind. I read this week in April, April 1988, the evening news reported on a photographer who was also a skydiver. This reporter skydiver had jumped from a plane along with several other skydivers and filmed the group as they individually dove out of the plane and opened their parachutes. As the video was being shown of each member of the crew jumping out and then pulling their ripcord so that their parachutes can open towards the direction of the wind, the final skydiver opened a chute and then the picture went berserk. The announcer reported that the cameraman had fallen to his death, having jumped out of the plane without a parachute. It wasn't until he reached for the ripcord that he realized he was free falling without a parachute. Up until then, he was enjoying himself and was absorbed in what he was doing. But tragically, he was unprepared for the jump. It didn't matter how many times he had jumped before. It didn't matter what his skill level was. By forgetting the parachute, he made a foolish and deadly mistake. Nothing could save him. Because his faith was in a parachute which he'd never taken the time or the trouble to buckle on. It is a story not unlike the parable which Jesus told about the foolish bridesmaids forgetting to bring something very important and necessary. The man was not ready. He was unprepared. It would do no good to try and borrow a parachute for somebody else who they themselves were on their way to meet the ground. He was not prepared and he passed the point of no return. Matthew 25, this parable stresses the importance of being ready for the return of Jesus. Jesus is coming back to earth again. He will not take a vote. And he's not waiting for my approval of somebody else. It's just that because of the multiplied grace of God, he hasn't come back yet. But he is coming again. And when he returns, will he find you and I awake and alert? Or will he find us slumbering and sleeping? This is the big question from this parable. You see, my brothers and sisters, Satan wants us to be unprepared for the Lord's coming. He wants us to become so lazy and lukewarm and laid back that we forget that he's coming again. Or... He wants us to get so busy and so distracted that we no longer think that there's a life beyond this life. And so when I think about this business of being ready, I see several wonderful thoughts 
and yet maybe frightening thoughts, depends on where you are in the picture, that the Lord would have us ponder on regarding His coming. For example, I begin with the different people that are mentioned in this passage. The Bible says, first, there were the wise, five wise bridesmaids or virgins. They were considered wise because they prepared for the bride's room coming with an abundant supply of oil. They believed that he was coming back and they took actions. They knew the culture of their day. The culture of their day was that after the bridegroom proposed to the bride, he would gain the approval of her parents. And then he would leave her in that village and town that she lived in. And he would go away to prepare a place for her. Build a house. It could take him three months, six months, or a year, depending on the kind of house, the kind of income, or other resources available to him. But the arrangements were already made for somebody to be engaged in marriage back then was as good as if they were married except for the consummation of that marriage. And the bridesmaid, the ten bridesmaids mentioned here, all knew that you really didn't know when the bridegroom would come and get his bride, but you needed to be ready. And so five had extra oil just in case he was delayed. Another group is mentioned and they're called the foolish. They were foolish because they didn't bother getting enough oil. They believed they had plenty of time and therefore they took no action. Maybe they thought they could encroach on the preparedness of others. And so they are considered foolish because when the bridegroom came, they were not ready. And as a result, they were shut out. Now I must tell you, church, that Jesus is talking here about more than one kind of preparedness. He's talking about spiritual readiness. If there's one thing that Jesus consistently and continually preached, it is that we must be ready. Over and over again, you hear the words of Jesus, and you can look one chapter back. Your Bibles are open to chapter 25, but look one chapter back at chapter 24 and verse number 44. If you're there, say amen. Jesus preaching here said, Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. We live in this culture in America that tries to live as though there is no tomorrow. Our finances reflect that we are living as if there is no tomorrow. So many people in America get in debt as if they're never going to have to pay it. I expected it to be quiet, so I got some other things to say. The way we eat and treat our bodies, we, me included, act like this, there is no tomorrow. And certainly the moral lives of Americans reflect that we live as if there's no tomorrow. One of my great concerns for our nation and for the church, the body of Christ, 
is the great moral disconnect between personal faith and ethical moral behavior. Let me explain. Many people within the church, as well as outside the church, seem to have lost their conscience or their ability to respond to the conscience that God has given them to discern right from wrong and choose right. The whole message of Jesus' warning to be ready had to do with doing the right things. Being ready meant actively living in faithfulness to God. It's more than just a calling to be a Christian. It's a lifestyle. I thought it was humorous, but I thought it was true. I read where a guy by the name of Dennis lived in Katy, Texas, and he had an emergency that caused it to be necessary for him to take a trip out of town. But he needed to have his suit clean before he could make the trip. And he remembered one store with a huge sign outside the store that says, One Hour Dry Cleaners. It was on the other side of town, but he had an emergency. So he drove out of his way to drop off his suit. After the clerk filled out the necessary information on the paperwork, he told the clerk, I have some errands to run. I'll be back in an hour to pick up my suit. She said to him, I can't get this suit back to you until Thursday. And he said, but I thought you did dry cleaning in an hour. Oh, no, she replied. That's just the name of the store. We don't actually do that. (laughs) It's a little humorous, but here's the bottom line. There are many folks today who wear a sign that says they're a Christian, but they fail to deliver the goods by how they live and how they serve God and others. If there's one thing I could get across to Christians here this morning and Christians in America, it would be this. Write it down or remember it. Spiritual readiness, preparation and growth do not just happen. Spiritual readiness comes as a result of intentional habits built into our lives as Christians. You and I cannot depend on Sunday morning service alone to provide all our spiritual needs. You and I cannot depend upon occasional Christian fellowship to meet all our spiritual needs. It comes through routine, sometimes mundane, sometimes ordinary spiritual discipline, which helps us to have more oil in our lamps to keep the fire of God burning in our souls. Somebody say amen. Spiritual preparedness is intentional. I mean by that that we've got to take time every day to pray and seek the Lord in personal devotion. Somebody ought to say amen. We've got to take time every day to read the Bible, memorize some scripture, because the Bible is our roadmap. The Bible is God's prescription for our lives. The Bible is the bread of life, the living water. And just like you can't live in the natural without water and without bread, you can't live in the spiritual without the bread of life and the word of God. 
And so you have to take time to pray and to read the Bible. You have to take time to be faithful to God by, by decisions you make. You have to be morally pure. You have to discern right from wrong. You get that discernment from praying, seeking God, reading the Bible. It's intentional. Somebody say amen. You intentionally prepare yourself like you're doing today. You come to the house of God. You sing the songs of praise. You hear the word of God preach. You rededicate your life to God. You become accountable one to another. I know there are no perfect churches. But you join a church because the church is God's idea. I know there are people who don't join the church that is going to heaven. I understand that perfectly well. But the church is the body of Christ. And some of you are waiting for the perfect church or the perfect opportunity to join. And I'm here to tell you, my friends, there are no perfect church. But if you will obey God and join His church and let your gifts and your anointing flow as an instrument in that church, you'll help up build up the body of Christ and God will honor for you, your, you for your obedience. You give your tithes and offerings. That's intentional preparation. I know it would be quiet there too, so i got some more notes. You bring one-tenth of your income to the house of the Lord and you say, God, I wouldn't have a dime if you didn't give me a job on income. So I'm bringing one-tenth is all you ask. I'm bringing it, I'm putting it in an envelope, I'm giving it to the house of God because the Bible says bring all the tithe in the storehouse and then meet meat in my house and prove me, saith the Lord, when you give your tithe and offering and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing where you cannot contain it. If you're praying for God to bless you financially, you're not tithing. God's not going to bless somebody who robs him. I'm not mad. I'm just trying to get you ready. If you're praying for God to help you to pay your mortgage and your car payment and heal your body and bless your family and you're getting all these blessings and you're not giving anything back to God, God is not interested in blessing disobedience. But if you'll sacrificially obey God, David said, never has the righteous been forsaken. No, he is seen begging for bread. Don't be considered among the foolish. You see, we need to develop some holy habits. Oh, we got some other habits. It's good habits. Our mamas teach us when we're small, brush your teeth when you get up, boy. And brush your teeth before you go to bed. Holy habits. As a growing up, rowdy little boy, loved to play with all my Friends, you know how boys can be? Man, you get dirty and nasty and smelly. And you know how boys are? They can smell their own selves and get used to it, and they can't tell they stink. <laughs> My mom would send me to the shower frequently, and I hated showers. God, I'd rather play than take a shower. But it's a good habit. Amen. There's some habits we develop that causes us to win friends and influence people. Hallelujah, Jesus. Maybe I should go back to my notes. Holy habits. It's a good habit to pay your bills. You get to keep your car and your house. It's a good habit to raise up your children in the fear of God and love of God because you pass your faith on to them. Holy habits. But you're not ready to, to meet the Lord or go to heaven. If you haven't developed a relationship of love, obedience, service to the Lord, it does me and you greater benefit to serve Him than it'll ever do Him for us to serve Him. 
Did that, did that make sense? I guess I'm trying to say we get a whole lot more out of that relationship than we ever put in it. I talked to a cousin of mine this week. She doesn't get this tape, and I hope she doesn't listen online. And I love her very much. She's my cousin. She called because she was concerned about the flooding in Atlanta. She lives in Canada. And she saw on CNN and HLN and other news network that Atlanta had tremendous flooding in the city and the metro areas. And you know because you live in this area, most of you. She wanted to know how we, we were faring. And I called her back and I thanked her for calling and told her we were doing pretty good. And explained to her. And then, and then the conversation got across the way I like to take it. How about you? <laughs> Going to church? Last time we talked, you know, going to church because she's lost her job and the economy is bad there too. And when last time I talked to her, she was going to church, serving God. She was happier than she'd ever been, even though she'd lost her job and other situations in her life beyond her control that were negative. She was going to church. How about you? She said, well, you know what, Alan? I hadn't been to church since May. Since May. The spirit of slap got on me. I guess I'm just zealous that way, but not really. I called her my name. I said, you hadn't been to church since May? The house of God? Yes. Try not eating from May to the end of September. See how long you last. Try staying out of work and expect to get a paycheck between May and September and see how many bosses will pay you. You all hear me? I'm not mad. I'm just telling you that... Oh, Jesus. We got to develop some holy habits that take precedent over every other area in our lives. Can I get an amen here, church? Please write this down. I'm jumping ahead here a little bit, but but I'm going to go ahead and do it. Write this down. Good intentions do not equal good actions. You didn't hear me. I'll get a few more amens on that. Good intentions do not equal good actions. You can intend one day to get right with God and be born again. But if Jesus comes or snatches us away in the rapture of the saints, which could happen any day, you would be left behind. And your good intentions would have amounted to nothing. One day I'm going to get right. One day I'm going to serve God. One day I'm going to give up these secret sins that nobody know about. But if Jesus doesn't cause the rapture to take place and we depart that way, the very real possibility is that you could die before Jesus comes. And if you're not ready then, you would be left behind and your good intentions would mean nothing. I I don't want to... To belabor the point, you may have good intentions to apologize to somebody so that you can fix a relationship, a relationship that was strained. But if you don't actively and deliberately make that appointment and apologize, it means nothing. You may have good intention one day to give a gift to somebody or give to the church 
or help send a missionary or help build a church or, or, or minister in some way. Good intention to be a part of a jail ministry or a prison ministry or sing in the choir one day or work in the youth ministry or work with the children ministry. You may have good intentions, but good intentions do not equal good actions. God does not bless our intentions. God blesses our obedience. You know, it's interesting here, when I read this passage, and I study it, this parable, that all these virgins, ten of them, appeared to be alike. And their similarities were as follows. They all brought themselves, they all taught themselves to be bridesmaids, and they were. All ten. All ten dressed alike. They all were expecting the bridegroom. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all fell asleep. They all had lamps. They all had trimmed their lamps. They all wanted to be a part of the wedding feast. But not all of them were prepared. This is a warning from this parable from Jesus to us. Be sure that you are truly prepared because it is possible to look just like everybody else and to talk like everybody else and to carry a Bible like everybody else and desire to go to heaven like everybody else. It's possible to think yourself a Christian like others but ultimately be unprepared. It is possible to know about Jesus and not know Jesus. It is possible to have a Bible. You can have a King James and a New King James and a New Living Translation and an NIV. And you can have the Message Translation. You can have the hardback and the softback. You can have the Hebrew and the Greek. And you can have the Latin Vulgate. You can have all kinds. It's possible to have the Bible but not know the Bible and live the Bible. The warning is be prepared. You see, the Bible says that both groups went to sleep. And yet, we find that the wise virgins could go to sleep because they were prepared. They had no problem. They had sufficient oil and extra. But the foolish went to sleep unprepared. The Word of God says to us in Proverbs 27 and 1, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Amen, church? As, as I ponder the passage, something else comes to mind, and I need to hasten here. The distinctive plan. The bridegroom would come at an unexpected hour. This was his prerogative, the bridegroom. He would choose when to appear, and then the wedding would begin. It's a little different from our day and time, because in our day and culture, the bride is the one who keeps everybody waiting. Done enough weddings to know that. But notice in this story, it is the groom who's the center of attention. 
Now, in Jesus' day and time, it was a male-dominated society. That was just a way of life. But not anymore. In our time, the bride is a center of attention. Everyone waits for her arrival. Everyone stands up when she enters the room. Everyone stares at her beautiful dress. And the groom is just the guy standing next to the preacher who's just lucky enough to be marrying this beautiful gal. But in Jesus' day, it was the groom for whom everyone waited with sort of bated breath, if you will. Part of the wedding celebration of Jesus' day was a feast that followed the wedding ceremony. It was to that feast that the ten virgins were coming as guests of the bridegroom. It was traditional back then for the bridesmaid to wait at someone's house in near proximity to the bride's house. So when the bridegroom was coming to meet his bride, a heralder would cry out, Behold, the bridegroom comes! Go out to meet him. Part of the tradition of those days was before the bridegroom went to get his bride, he would try to negotiate with the bride's family about a gift to give to them in return for their daughter. And sometimes the parents of the bride would prolong the negotiation of what the bridegroom should give the family because they were casting the image the longer they went in negotiation, the more valuable they would cause the esteem to be of their daughter. And perhaps this was what was going on on this particular account that Jesus talks about where the bridegroom wasn't coming in a hurry. Maybe, maybe he was negotiating with the parents. But after the negotiation was over, he hastened to the destiny of his bride. And you already know because the passage is self-relevant. The herald at midnight. Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go out to meet him. And the Bible says five were ready and five were not. You see, we as a church and believers in Christ are waiting for our bridegroom, who is Christ, to return. Can I get an amen by faith here? And the Bible says that he is coming again. In John 14, 1 through 3, the Bible says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, because in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He's coming again. He said it. But, but he said it more than one place. The Word of God says in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 2, For you yourself know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Unexpectedly. But he's coming. 
The Word of God says in Revelations chapter 1 verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come. I'm trying to tell you that Jesus Christ is coming again. He is the one who is, was, and is coming again. And it's my job and your job to be ready so we be among the blessed. Here's a, here's a difficult problem. The difficult problem is that the door was shut after the bridegroom came and he took in all the invited guests, including the five wise virgins who brought extra oil for their lamp to await the arrival of the bridegroom. I noticed some things here I hadn't noticed before and I'll point them out to you. After the foolish virgins realized they couldn't borrow extra oil from the wise virgins, because if they got oil from the wise virgins, that means the wise virgins would have nothing left for themselves. After the foolish virgins went out at midnight, and I don't know where they had to go and who they had to wake up and what market would be open or or whatever source was. After they went out and they purchased oil and they returned for the the reception, they came to the marriage ceremony and there there was a gate, of course, that surrounded the compound. And they came to the gate and they made a request of the Lord of the marriage. Lord, Lord, open to us. Their belated request was followed by a bewildering response. The Lord of the marriage said to them, I do not know you. Please, you have your scriptures. Go back a few chapters in Matthew's gospel and turn to Matthew 7. Matthew chapter 7, please. Are you there? Would you say amen? Matthew 7 verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. Can I get an amen here? Look at this. Verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many mighty wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, you got to be ready. Lord, didn't I go to church every Sunday? If you've not given your heart to Jesus Christ, confess your sin and forsake your sin and start building a relationship of prayer, of devotion, of obedience, of the love of Christ. If you're, if you're not walking in His light and staying prepared every day of your life, if you, if you live in human flesh and all of us are, every day of our lives we are tempted in some way by some means of Satan and we got to reapply the blood of Jesus Christ to get us to be strong in the Lord. How many are going to say to the Lord on that judgment day, but didn't I go to church? Didn't I tithe? Didn't I sing in the choir? Didn't I help the youth ministry, children's ministry? Didn't I help the widows and the elderly? Didn't I go on a mission trip? And he says, sorry, I don't know you. And here's the greatest tragedy. The bitter remorse of the gate being shut was that it was shut permanently. The door was shut. 
The question for us is, who is the door? The answer is John 10 and 9. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Somebody say amen. You see, right now, 2009, September 27, the door is open. Right now, everybody's invited to come in. Can I get another amen? Right now, the Bible says about Jesus in Revelation 3 and 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Oh, help me, Jesus. You hear the choir singing if you're not saved, but you feel something in your soul. That's Jesus knocking at the door of your heart. You hear the sermon. You've heard the sermon before, but something's going on in your spirit. It's the Lord knocking at the door of your heart. You'll be given an invitation to come to Christ, and you want to release that pew and step in the aisle and come forward. It's the Lord knocking at the door of your heart. He says, open the door, because the door is open, but one day it's going to be shut. Isaiah 55 and 6 says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. I don't know if you can tell I'm struggling, but I'm struggling, but I'm struggling probably in a good way. Oh, Jesus, help us. Let me show you the deliberate preparation. How do I keep oil in my lamp, Pastor? How do I keep the fire of God burning in my soul? How do I keep ready for the coming of the Lord? You see, you've got to be ready in two counts. You've got to be ready to die or ready to fly. Yeah, because you're going to be caught up out of here one day in the rapture, ready to die, ready to fly. And you're not ready to fly unless you've died to sin. You see, so in order to, 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 to be prepared for the coming of the Lord, we've got to watch our character. Because you can't borrow character from somebody else and get to heaven. <laughs> oh, Jesus, help me. Mm, thank you, Brother Willie. I hope you live as long as I do and stay in this church as long as I do until Jesus comes because I need somebody to tell me that along the way. Mm, listen to me. You and I need to be prepared for the coming of the bridegroom. Write this down because our current choices reflect our present faith and our present character. Our present choices today reflect the status of our faith and our character. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, having these precious promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Moral purity. You can't borrow character. You, you can't borrow salvation. Your mother may be saved. Your father may be saved. Your grandmother may be sitting beside a spiritual person. But it won't rub off on you. You, you got a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't catch like you catch a cold. Yeah. People, people have, uh, uh, we hear about the swine flu and H1N1, and I, I, don't, I don't blame you for trying to, to look out for yourself. You avoid some people who have the flu and the cold, like some people on Sunday morning avoid the offering bag, like it's got H1N1. I'm a preaching little man, ain't I? Better not touch that offering bag. 
You see, Jesus rebuked the Jews when they tried to claim their spirituality and their salvation through Abraham. They said to Jesus concerning their salvation, we have Abraham our father. And Jesus said, you can't claim your salvation because you are descendants of Abraham. Because out of these stones, I can raise up sons and daughters of God. You got to have your own salvation. It's wonderful to sing in this church, faith of our fathers. You ever heard that hymn? it's, It's wonderful to sing, faith of our fathers. But there come a time when you have to sing, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. I feel a whoop glory coming on. Watch your commitment. You can't borrow commitment from somebody else. No more than I can take your medicine for your disease and you get better because I take it. You can't borrow commitment. No more than I can diet and exercise for you and you lose weight. You're not hearing me, are you? You can't borrow commitment. Jesus help me. I don't I don't mean to make anybody mad here, okay? Because I'm going to give you a little heads up next Sunday. I'm going to talk a little bit more about commitment. I don't mean to make anybody mad here, but there are so many Christians, especially at South Metro Ministries, who want to be served by everybody else. So many Christians that want somebody to do the ushering and somebody to do the choir singing and somebody to do the nursery working and somebody else to do the security team and somebody else to, to kind of do all the other things that it makes to, to take care of the children while we worship undisturbed in the sanctuary, to take care of the babies. So many Christians want somebody else to visit the hospitals and the nursing home and the jail. I'm talking about Christians at South Metro Ministry who have gifts and callings of God. You, Oh, Jesus, help me here. I am telling you, brothers and sisters, that God raised up various gifts in the church that he gave to you and you and you and you and you and me to build up the body of Christ. But we got so many Disneyland Christians. I paid my ticket. We got Six Flag Christians. I bought my ticket. Bring Mickey out out, and bring Minnie out and make sure I get my money's worth. Yeah. Uh, I'm getting some of those looks if looks would kill you. Yeah. Oh, God, help me. Thank God for faithfulness. Thank God for faithfulness. When I asked God to give me a church to pastor, I said my wife and I have rehearsed this. We're coming on 25 years next year if Jesus tarries and I tarry. And I said, God, give us a church we could stay the rest of our lives. And I told the Lord, I want, to, I want to be there, and I want to dedicate those babies, and I want to see those babies graduate high school, and I want to celebrate them. I want to do their wedding and their marriage. I want to bury the dead. I want to resurrect the, the, the dead who need resurrection. I want, to, I, want to, I want to be a part of a community. And God, let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. It ain't easy to remain in the same place and the same post like you've done, like others have done, because sometimes in your job, in your ministry, in your family, for the boss you work for, for the coach you work with, for the 
connection, the relationship you have, sometimes you are underappreciated and underthanked, but you stay the task because you have a higher mission and a higher calling and you have a gift whereby one day you'll stand before God and He'll ask you, how did you use your gift? we got capable people in this church, like churches all across America, who should be serving. Hey, the rest of us got kids to get to school, too. <laughs> I'll take my glasses off so it like, like I don't see what I'm hitting. The rest of us in ministry, we got, we, we, we got kids have homework, too. And we got jobs that take us late at night, too. Huh? The rest of us in ministry, we, we got family, we got responsibility, we got sick people, we got other. But we know that God is not going to just judge us because we got baptized in water one day or saved in some church and said, now you're ready for heaven. God is going to give us rewards on whether or not we use the time, talent, and energy He gave us for His glory. Oh, help me, Jesus. Mm. Well... I don't know. Yeah. You ever talk to yourself? Yes, you do. Some of you are talking down to yourself, aisle number 12 in Walmart, and you catch yourself and you try to make it look like you had a secret headphone on talking to somebody. Yeah. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Commitment. I said commitment. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. No devil, you're not going to distract me. The devil just told me that some folk get mad and leave because I'm preaching like I'm preaching. I don't want to be cocky, but can you tell me about filled up here? We might need a few more seats. So if you got the bad attitude and you ain't going to obey God, you might as well go someplace else. Okay? I'm not trying to be cocky, okay? But if you're running from the Word of God, you can run to California or China. But the Word of God is the Word of God. You see, you like me better when I'm telling jokes about my marriage. <laughs> you like me better when I'm talking about me. And it's funny. And I like you too, but... Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the ruining of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of commitment. Last thought. Oh, God. Come to the music, if you will, brother, and it'll make him think I'm quitting. Watch your companions. I said, watch your companions. You are who you hang out with. I'm telling you, you are known by your associations. Don't be caught among the foolish virgins. Don't be caught with the wrong crowd when Jesus comes. Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, 17, Therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean. And I will receive you. I wish some of you young ladies who are praying for the right man in your life... But make sure the one you're dating is who God has for you. And if you won't serve God for God's sake and his soul. If he's only going to serve God for you, the relationship and keeping you, you got the wrong man. I wish some of you single moms 
who've been the victims of divorce and you didn't ask for and you didn't want but pray to God that you don't have to have a man so bad that any old man will do there's some folks that are going to drag you to hell and you don't need to be yoked up with them You see, I know people are going to use the Bible and say, Well, Pastor, we're supposed to be in the world or not of the world. I know that too. But either you are influencing the other party to God or they are influencing you away from God. Watch your companions. You see, today, if you are awake, my question in closing is, How is your supply of oil in your lamp? Let's take a little inventory because here's the final word. Jesus said, do not marvel at this. For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good will come forth to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil will come forth to the resurrection of damnation. Are you ready? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Heavenly Father, Christians, saints of God, just offer a prayer under your breath for obedience. Lord Jesus, I pray that the devil wouldn't dupe anybody this morning. Stand everybody to your feet. Please would you stand in Jesus' name. And after you stood, bow your heads again. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Holy Ghost. Help us. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. I want to work on my commitment. I want to work on my character. I want to work on godly integrity. I want to say if I'm going to be there, to be there. And if I can't be there, it must be for a good reason. I don't want to just have a Bible and have a church and have my name on a roll. I want to experience God's grace every day in relationship. Pastor Matura, I need Jesus Christ and I need to be born again because I'm not ready. I need to be born again or I need to come back to God again. I want Jesus as my Lord. Heads about and eyes are closed. Pastor, no more than that fellow who fell on the plane without his parachute could borrow a parachute on the way down. I can't borrow somebody's salvation. And I can't borrow eternal life. I've got to pursue it myself. I want Jesus. Come if that's you in Jesus' name. Come. Come from wherever you're standing. Come back to Christ. Or come the first time. Come, I'll wait for you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Ask somebody to come with you if you'd like. Come on. It'd be worth if just if only one needed to come, but I want to come back to Jesus. I want to rededicate my life to Christ. I want to be better ready. Come in Jesus' name. Come on. Yeah, you, here you are. You're coming. And it's not an indication for others to look, but oh, I bless you, Jesus. Come on, come on, mamas. Come on, daddies. Free gift. Say, Pastor. Regardless of how long I live beyond today, let this day go down in the record book of heaven. 
that I made it right with God. It is well with my soul. Keep coming. Keep coming. Keep coming. I want some of you elders to come. I want other Christians who would like to just gently lay your hands on another person. Come and pray for them. If you see a family member here, a friend, and you are born again, and you just want to lay your hands, come in Jesus' name. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Surround them. Work through. Work for Jesus. I bless you, Jesus. Would everybody else in the church offer to the Lord yourself this morning and surrender? Would you lift up your hands all over the church? And those of you in the altar and offer yourself. God, I present myself symbolically on your altar. Come on. God, I do not want to think I'm ready. I want to know for sure. All my good intentions will not save me. It is my obedience that will save me. Father, I thank you. Come on, everybody praying now all over this church. And those of you in the altar, pray with that brother or sister for me and for them. Come on, everybody praying here. Everybody in this house knows somebody who is not ready to die because they're not saved. Pray for them. Come on, come on. Let me, let me hear you pray above a whisper. Everybody here. It may be your spouse, it may be your son, it may be your daughter, it may be your mother, it may be your father, it may be your boyfriend or your girlfriend. In Jesus' name, they may be in Canada or California or Central America or they may be standing beside you. Oh, Jesus, thank you for another chance. Thank you, Jesus, for another chance. Oh, God, I surrender all. I surrender all. Forgive me for playing church. Come on, church. Raise up those hands. Raise up those voices. Now, everybody, tilt your head like you're talking to God. Point your head up in the direction of heaven and talk to God. Oh, God, this morning, I don't want to play church. I don't want to play religion. I don't want to play like I'm a wise virgin or bridesmaid when I'm foolish. I don't want to be foolish. I don't want to be caught like a thief in a night. Oh, God, come in to break into somebody's house or my house, and I'm unprotected and unprotected. In the name of Jesus, bring revival to my family. Bring revival to my marriage. Bring revival to my life. Come on, pray church. You're giving me another chance, oh God. You're giving me another sermon. You're giving me another song. You're giving me another opportunity, Lord. I will not be mad at you, Jesus. I refuse to be mad at you. I refuse to be mad at the church when I'm the one that needs to make it right. I refuse to be mad at the servant of God when I'm the one that needs to hear the truth and be changed. Yes, God, wash us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I bless you, Lord. I bless you, Jesus. Now I want everybody in the house to repeat the sinner's prayer after me for the good of those in the altar who are rededicating, for the good of those in the altar who are going to be saved. And for the good of everybody in the church who knows somebody who needs to be saved, I want everybody to repeat this prayer. Lord Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner. I am nothing of myself. My looks can't save me. My wisdom can't save me. My inheritance can't save me. But you, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for knocking at the door of my heart. And now today, I open the door. And I ask you to come in and take up residence in my whole life. I open
open up my whole life to Jesus. Lord Jesus, take the searchlight of your holy word and look into every area of my life. Try me and see if there be any wicked way in me and cleanse me from it. I confess, Jesus, that you are the Son of God. And I receive you today as my Savior, the only Savior, the only begotten of God. I am washed, I am cleansed, and I'm saved. In Jesus' name, amen. I give him thanks. Give him thanks. Come on, give him thanks.